Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Lord, we honor you. We're singing a song to honor you. And we're reflecting back on this year. And we're looking at the positions that we've been able to acquire. And we look at the seasons of life that we've been able to move through. And we look how you just kept us this year. We look how you revealed yourself to us. And because of all those things that we have seen you do, we want to give worship back to you, God. We want to offer our lives to you, God. We want to sing to you, God, because you've captured our hearts. And God, we come into this room this afternoon realizing that though we have been on this journey with you, God, there is so long to go. There are so many things we picked up this year. There's so much baggage that we brought with us and so many things we want to remove from our lives. And so, God, we, we recognize that we're not who we want to be and we're not where we want to be, but we decide that we want to be with you. And we decide that we want to be like you, God. So we come here this afternoon, God, acknowledging you as the author and finisher of our faith, the source of our strength. God, you are the very center of our being. You are the very meaning of our lives. You are why we exist. You are the essence of our song, God. You capture our mind and our heart. We lift our hands, God, and we say, we love you, God. We honor you, God. You are worthy of our praise. And so, God, in light of that, we come waiting to hear from you, waiting to hear from you. Would you reveal yourself? Speak to us, God. And we will walk away from this place knowing you have spoken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The image here is of the very famous scene of the manger. Many of you have either read about it or you saw it somewhere on someone's lawn or you saw it somewhere on TV. But the manger scene is one of the most epic and picturesque scenes of Jesus coming to earth. We heard about three wise men coming to visit Jesus. The scriptures tell us that the name of those wise men, their role were magi. We understand that these magi, the word is essentially a magician, Someone who studies, at that time, the stars, interprets dreams, and does miracles. The Magi are studying the stars. They are looking in the stars, and when they look in the stars one afternoon, they get a picture. They see something. And it was very clear at that time that the Magi would study stars to see some mighty move of earth or some kind of cataclysmic sign. And so here the Magi are studying the stars and God 
reveals himself to them. They become clear that there is a star leading them to a king, the king of the Jews. From what we know, the Magi weren't Jewish. From what we understand, the Magi weren't religious. From what we understand, the Magi had never truly worshipped and been, they weren't waiting for Messiah. But the Magi, after studying the stars, decided to follow these stars. It says that they went from essentially Persia, the present-day Iran, all the way to Jerusalem. And that was about 900 miles. They follow this star. And in following the stars, Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to, and look what it says, worship him. And these are astrologers. These are people who set their minds on what the, what's going on in the heavens. And God did something in their hearts. And he turned astrologers into worshipers. And they come. They say, where is this king? We want to worship him. And this series has been the first part of it. We, we talked about lifting our hands and we talked about having a victorious surrender before our God and how when we worship God, we are embracing all of who he is, that he is one that we can fully depend on, that he's also one we can expect victory in our lives so we can have a victorious surrender and we can be free before him. But today, I want to dig deeper into the essence of what worship is. What happened to these astrologers? What changed them? Well, the word worship is actually an old English term. If you were to look in the Greek, the word worship, the word prosuke, it basically means to bow low. But the word worship that we use, the old English term, actually comes from the idea of worth-ship. Okay. And so just like you say fellowship is when fellows get together, worth-ship comes in two parts. Worth-ship, first and foremost, is seeing God for who he is or for what he is worth. But secondarily, worthship is then giving him what he's worth. And so the, the imagery of worship then is acknowledging and beholding the beauty of God, seeing his revelation and understanding who he is. But then it is responding to him Based upon the value that you've given him, based upon what you've seen, you now give him what he is worth. It goes on in, in, in Matthew, and it says of this moment, it kind of digs into the details of this moment in verse 9. Uh, well, in, in verse 7 and 8, they, the Herod secretly summoned him, the wise men, and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I can go to and worship him. But Herod really didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. But he wanted to gather people. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And there it was, the star 
They had seen its rising. (laughs) It's crazy. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. These men studying the stars, somehow a star began to lead them to where Jesus was. And they follow this star, and all of a sudden the star went above where Jesus was. And then it says, when they saw the star, y'all, they haven't even seen Jesus yet. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Now, there's a couple things to unpack, and there's other things I have to say, but I just want to make a side note here. God captured the heart and imagination of astrologers, and he used the stars to bring them to him. So I just want you to know, I know you got that friend, I know you got that cousin, they way far from God. If God will use stars to bring astrologers, he'll use Google to bring people here. He'll use whatever he wants to understand it's his creation. He'll use whatever he wants in order to capture your attention. He used stars. And he moved a star above Jesus so they would get attention to Jesus. And he had, they had become so clear on the journey about this king that they had not even seen yet that when it says at the end of the text, it says they were overwhelmed with joy. It says in the Greek, it's like they were saying they were happy about being happy. They were exuberant. But they haven't even met Jesus yet. They haven't even seen him. All they've seen is a star moving. And then one day they see where the star lands. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Though you have not seen him, oh, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And this is what happens. You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the very point that the Magi were, where they just saw the star, but they didn't see the Savior, that's where we are. We've not seen him face to face yet. But there's something about when we come in here and we hear these songs, and there's something mysterious and glorious about the joy that God places in your heart when you know what he's worth. And he changes your life. My senior year in college... Uh, many of you know I was in a fraternity, and, and, and so here we are. We have this uh, step show. If you don't know what a step show is, Google it, praise God. And so we're, <laughs> we had a step show, and, and I remember I, was, I had this one part I was supposed to do in the step show, and, and I, you know, it was really nasty, praise God. And so I was like, I, I, can't, I, was like, I can't do it, y'all. I can't, I can't do it. I can't. And they were like, why? You know, we'll just do it. And I was like, I, I, I don't. And I remember trying to capture my words. I remember trying to explain what happened in my life. I remember trying to tell them God has changed my life. I remember trying to express that something was happening inside of me. And when I remember reading this verse a few months later, I was like, that's it. I have this, look at that, inexpressible 
glorious joy. I have a mysterious gladness inside of me, and I can't put it in words, but God has changed me, and that's happened to some of you. You know, we, we as pastors, we want to make sure we have sermons, and we try to do Bible studies, and we try to witness to people, and we try to make sure that we, you understand your Bible, but at the end of the day, you need, above all else, more than an explanation, you must have an encounter, an encounter with God, that he reveals himself to you. I wonder if that's happened. Has God revealed himself to the point where you've seen his glorious words? where he's beautiful to you, where he captures your imagination, where he is the apple of your eye, and he creates, he stirs in you a joy. Until that happens, all other religious efforts will seem foolish. Coming to church will seem foolish. Giving financially will seem foolish. Serving will seem foolish. It will only be a religious effort until you have that mysterious joy on the inside. And I cannot give that to you. I cannot preach that in you. That has to be a star moving you to Jesus. But if he can change an astrologer, oh, he can change you. You are not too far from an encounter. And some of you have discounted how close you are And some of you have presumed how far you might be, but you are right there because you are here today. And you are right in front of him. And all he is asking you, look, in, in that other verse, it says, they were overwhelmed with joy. God revealed himself to them. And I pray that you would see him today. You'd see the beauty of Jesus because all the stars align to point to Jesus. And right now, in this very moment, Romans 8.28 is happening in your life. All things are working together for the glory of God in your life. God is working all circumstances, all trials, all relationships, every financial endeavor, where you live and where you've been, only so that the star can align over Jesus. Everything in your life has been pointing to Jesus. And when you capture, when that, when that snaps, when that pops, when you see it, it stirs joy. And when you miss it, it's just, it's just old religion again. It's that same old religious thing. So you must see the joy of the magi first before you see anything else. Now, it goes on to say in uh, Matthew chapter 2, it says, entering the house. So now they've seen the star and, and they're, they're astrologers. So they're probably like nerds and they're like, they've got their like, oh gosh, look, we saw the star. But they, they're, they're entering the house and they see the child with his mother and, his, and they're falling to their knees. They walk into this house and they, see, they go on their knees and they begin to worship him. And they're blown away. And it goes on to say, they opened their treasures and presented with him, him with gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their own country by another route. One, God not only reveals himself to the stars, but he reveals himself in a dream not to go back to King Herod because King Herod wanted to kill them. See again, God will reveal himself to who he wants to know him. So he reveals himself in a dream. But they come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Frankincense and myrrh are both, they basically are these sweet-smelling fragrances. And so myrrh often would get used in the uh, embalming uh, moment of when someone's someone's dead, they would embalm someone in myrrh. And frankincense would be some uh, sweet-smelling, in essence, incense that you would have at a home. And gold is gold. I don't have to interpret that. So... (laughs) They would bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I just want to note, what they are doing is what would happen in Eastern religions when you believe that you were about to go before a king, you would bring your best. And these were expensive items because they would take frankincense and they would take myrrh from the sap of trees, from the very root of trees, and they would begin to grind it up, and then you would finally get frankincense and myrrh, and only the rich had this. And so these were wealthy men. And so here they have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they're giving it to a baby. Now, we only have two options. Either these men are aware that one day this man will rule heaven and earth, and we worship him now for our future relationship with him. Or this is the worst gift ever given to a baby in the history of mankind. <laughs> you know how you, I, sometimes I'll have like some hood friends. When we first had a baby, you have hood friends. They come in, you know, they come into the, to the place we had the baby, you know, and they, they come in with like shoelaces. They're like, yo, dog, I figured, you know. It's like, <laughs> you couldn't think of a baby monitor or anything like that, right? So the, so the reality is either this is the worst gift in the history of mankind or they were not giving a gift to the current baby, but to the future king. They were giving to the future, to what Jesus would be, not the baby right now. You see? They were so, their imagination was so captured that they wanted to just give their best to the king now, even though he couldn't use the things right in front of him. Because the baby ain't going to do nothing with frankincense. Now, some theologians will say the frankincense was for the priestly role of Jesus, and some would say the myrrh is for the death of Jesus, some would say the gold is for the kingdom. But they didn't know all that. They believe they're giving to a king, and they're giving their best to a future king. And so because we see this imagery of them giving to this future king, not a current baby, but a future king, it then speaks to the reality. First, we see the joy. Then we see the gift. Joy, then gift. Joy, then gift. And it was from their treasure that they gave it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't Store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves 
treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And notice two times the text says store up. The Bible is not saying don't store up treasure. The question is where will you store it up? And here the imagery is of the magi, they are investing in the future king. And what this text is in Matthew 6 says is for us to store our treasure in the future eternal reality of Jesus. That we are to store our treasure. He says if you store your treasure, if all your treasures are here, he says moth and rust and thieves. Moth, rust, and thieves. They will be the ones who occupy the treasure you thought you had. And this begs the question of what we treasure, of what we are seeing worth in. You see, the question isn't, do I see the worth of God? The question is, where do I see worth? Because I am not only seeing worth somewhere, but I'm giving worth somewhere. And most likely, where I am giving worth, I am investing. And so what he says here then is, The question isn't storing up. The question is where you're storing up. You have to realize that life is an investment strategy, period. That you are going to invest either in the eternal or you're going to invest in now. But the wisdom of Jesus says, if you invest in now, it won't always be around. You can't bring it with you. He says, moth and rust destroy it. Thieves take it. The Proverbs, the Proverbs talk about our gifts flying away. Proverbs 23 and 5 says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. (laughs) Put wings on your money. Put wings on your status. And put wings on all your materials, because they will fly away, he says. That there is a temporary moment that you have on earth. And money and power are things that we covet, likes and retweets and eyes being on us. We value it, and it is only temporary. And the question we have is where are we placing our investment? Whether it is in the eternal or whether it is in the temporal. Because Jesus says there is an investment strategy. Now we learn from the Magi that it, is, it first comes from having joy in our hearts. And then once we move from joy, then we have treasure and we give. We give from that treasure. And he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, our treasure, the things we value, that is our time and most likely our money, and it is our status. And you can tell what you value, oftentimes where you spend your day, where you let your mind wander, and also in your bank account. You can tell what you're investing in. You can also tell by the things you complain about by the things you covet, by the things you say, I just have to have, because it shows where you give. What are you saying has worth? 
And how are you giving it worth? And Jesus says, find beauty in me. See it in me and invest in an eternal reality, the future relationship we will have. The Magi were captured. Their hearts, their minds were captured by Jesus. And here we see that Jesus later says that we will invest. If our hearts are captured, our treasure will follow. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this even more. 2 Corinthians 9, he says, the person who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And Paul is talking about money at this point. And he says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart. (laughs) Again, he's talking about a heart issue. And this is what Paul says, and this is what I want to say to everyone. He says, not reluctantly, though, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And what is interesting is that when you see the joy that the Magi have and then you see the gift, when you see Jesus saying your treasure and your heart are connected, notice how Paul keeps giving all these warnings. Don't just be a giver. Don't be someone who just gives from their treasure. Make sure you are not doing it reluctantly or out of compulsion. Make sure you are a cheerful giver because if you are not a cheerful giver, then you truly have not seen the worth of Jesus. Your giving is not as valuable as your joy because it is your heart that God wants. It is your heart that God wants. He wants your heart. He wants your affections. He wants your mind. And my God is a jealous God. And he wants your your thoughts. And he wants to be intimate with you. And he wants your finances to flow from your intimacy. He wants your serving to flow from your intimacy. And the question we must have when it comes to God is not that riggedy old religion of have I done enough? The question is, do I know you enough? Have I seen the beauty of your grace? The word cheerful comes from the word of of grace, of charis. It essentially means grace giving. And the beauty of this, it says, do you know the beauty of his grace to the point at which you would give? My wife, she is not, she is a huge gift person, praise God. We are very different. I don't need gifts, she likes gifts. That's, you know, if you've heard of love languages, it's a big gift gift person, praise God. But I've learned this. Um, You give roses and date night, you set it up. Go someplace, like a movie, you know what I'm saying? Roses, whole nine. But you get there, and you really didn't want to go in the first place. And your attitude is kind of funky. And my wife, after I set all that up, she's sitting there, and she's like, did you want to, did you want to do this? Because 
we can go home. And I'm like, I set all this up. Yeah, but I'm not into all that. Are you happy? And I'm like, I, I got roses. I don't, no, no, no. Roses. And yes, my wife wants a gift. She wants roses. She wants to go out. She wants time. But she wants my undivided attention and joy simultaneously. And to give her one without the other is to rob her altogether. And so realize and understand God is simultaneously looking at your gifts of service as he looks at your heart. As you serve people, as you get the known campaign and you purchase those sweatshirts, as you do things, uh, whether it's on the connect team or you're in a city group, and as you do things for people, you can fool us all, but you cannot fool your God. Because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And you serve him from your heart. Because my God is a jealous God. And he wants you. He wants you. This, um, many of you know where God is positioning us for a building there in uh, Flatbush, praise God. And um, as we are putting ourselves in that position. Um, this is going to be the last Sunday that we talk about giving to the building until we compile all the money at the end of uh, January 31st. And um, we are going to be sending out some text messages and emails to people, um, and we're going to be challenging folks to give in several routes. We're going to challenge some people in here to give $1,000. We're going to challenge some people here to give $500. We're going to challenge some people to give 250 and we're going to challenge others to give 100 In 2 Corinthians, Paul was talking about giving from your heart. And in Matthew, Jesus was saying, make an investment. And as a church, we are challenging and asking our people to collectively make an investment in a facility that we want to use as an event space. An event space that we hope to be able to employ people who were formerly incarcerated and folks who are adolescents looking for work. And yet this is an investment. This is not about being the, the greatest church out there. This is not about having the best event space. This is about trying to make an impact for Jesus Christ. But these numbers are only an opportunity for you to express your love for God. Let me be clear. God is going to provide. My God shall supply all my needs. God's going to supply all our needs. God's going to supply all the building's needs. And you have an opportunity to join with him in that. Yeah. Because anything else will feel like compulsion. 
Like, oh, okay, this whole sermon was about asking for money. Bet. <laughs> I know how people are. I've, I've sat in those seats. This is not about, this is not about asking. I, I mean, real talk, there are some rich churches in Orlando. But I can go to them and, you know, put on my dancing shoes and be like, hey, we need some money. And I can get money. I'm not trying to make this about money. I'm trying to make this about your worship, mm, about your heart for God, yeah. and giving you an opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God, not just in your personal brand, but in the kingdom of God, in Jesus' brand. So in this, this is an opportunity, and I am actually going to reach out to some of you, and I'm going to say, hey, can you give 250 And some of you are going to say, I can give 500 and I'm going to ask some of you to give 1000 And some of you are going to say, I can give 1500 And I'm going to reach out to some of you and say, can you give 100 And some of you are going to say, can I get 100 Praise God. Right? <laughs> like, is this the benevolent ministry? <laughs> oh, my God. I was waiting. This feels like the lotto. This is lotto for Christ. Okay, but no. So that's why... <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's important. <laughs> so that's why it's important that you realize that giving financially is ultimately about you and Jesus, your joy before your gift. Right? But <clears throat> the other the other thing that we see when it comes to giving to God. And lastly, <clears throat> is <clears throat> in Ephesians, Paul talks about gifts that God gives to us. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, Now grace, notice the cheerful giving is about grace giving. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says... When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. And so what we learn is Jesus dies on a cross. And in the book of Acts, he says that he ascends. He ascends in Acts chapter 1. And in his ascension, not only does he give us a picture of what one day will be when he comes back, but the Bible says through the power of the Holy Spirit in the book of 1 Corinthians, it says that he gave gifts to men and he has given all of us gifts. And these gifts are for the serving and the equipping of the saints to be lived out in the world. But when we hear God gave us gifts, we think it's Christmas. And we're like, I got a gift from Jesus. And so when you get a gift from God, you, we forget that this gift was not meant to be a means of my identity, but rather for the distribution of service. You see, that's why it's so important that we see that the Magi were captured with joy. 
before they gave from their treasure, before they gave from what they had. Because the Magi were giving their best. And when you give your best, it's sacrificial. When you give time and energy, it's hard work. And what counterbalances giving everything for the service of Jesus is first receiving from Jesus and giving to men. Because if you give from your gifts only to get approval from men, you will be angry, bitter, and jealous. And so understand, the gifts that God has given us, they're ultimately for service. In this analogy, I'll close. Imagine my daughters on Christmas. I give them gifts. Of course, they open up their gifts and they're ready to receive and run around and play and do all these things because they know what's been packaged up is just totally for them. And I think that we have to rethink gifts. I think it's better, I, I don't have a problem with Paul, I'm not going to say anything's wrong with the Bible, but I think the word gifts make us honestly think about Christmas and Valentine's Day, and we think gift in that way. And I think a better word would be tools. Because you either will see gifts like a makeup kit, or you'll see them as like a tool kit. You see, when you get a gift, you'll think, this is for me to look better in front of people. And this is where I get my identity. Is that what y'all do? I don't know what girls do. <laughs> the foundation. I was building a foundation. I had a mom. Right? 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 You'll either think these gifts... This gift is so I can be in front of people and look good, and God gets some of that too. Or you'll see gifts as like a tool where I, I know that I have work to do. I know that I'm going to be putting in time and energy and sacrifice and working on lives and giving my all for the benefit of others. That is the gift that God has given you. And when you are filled with the joy of Jesus Christ and the inexpressible way that God has changed your life, you think, why, why shouldn't I give to my God for all that he has given me? I will give from my resources. I'll give my talent and my skill so that God can be glorified because you see his beauty and you see his worth. How tragic would it be if you were to see the Lord and only having your salvation, you see God and your gifts that he gave you, you use them sparingly because you were so fixated on the approval of men that you didn't give yourself in service. And then when it comes to your resources, you were so fixated on 
getting more money, more money, more money, that you completely forgot that it was a stewardship. And it was God's money and God's resources. This Christmas, this end of the year, see God for completely who he is and give him what he is worth. And if you feel guilt, if this, if this message is making you feel guilt and shame, why don't you trade it in for joy and glory? Because the purpose of the cross is not to make you feel shame, but it should bring about you a glorious joy of what God has done in your life. Heavenly Father, we pray that our lives and our hearts would be changed by the power of God. We pray, Jesus, that you and only you, God, would you help us to see worship as all of our lives, giving God all that he is worth. And I pray, God, that we would see you for who you are. Now, God, as you are working even in this room, as you are stirring up our hearts, as you are leading us to joy, Father, will we just empty our hands and give you our best? Give you our best because we've received everything from you. And in the end, we'll give you all the praise. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.